When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. My name is Seb Philpot. And I'm Verity Simmons. And this is... Three in a Bar. Yes, it is. And uh, <laughs> we've got a musical guest for you this week. We have. Always. Just to keep in, in, you know, in line with the others. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this week, we've got a fireman. <laughs> yeah. Who's tone deaf. Um, no, we're sticking to... <laughs> and he to hates the... music. Yeah. Right. But we're sticking to the musicians. We're going to keep talking to musicians. Yeah. Um, it's good to have some sort of niche. It really is. Hey, but this one's a, a good one, isn't he? Yeah, it really is a good one. Shall I have a look to see who Could you? it is? Oh, He's go on. right down here in my drawers. Get out! <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, um, it's Amos Miller. Well, hey! You mean the Amos Miller, who has recently been appointed head of brass at the Royal Birmingham Conservatoire? Uh, yes, that good. is the one I mean. Good, yeah. good, good. That's great. He's um, founder member of the internationally acclaimed brass quintet Onyx Brass. Oh, yes. He's a trombone player. He um, has also combined that with uh, the post of principal trombone with the Royal Ballet Sinfonia. That's right. Which is uh, Royal, Birmingham Royal Ballet. Yeah. That's where they uh, that's where they work. He's done all sorts. He's got a massive freelance career. He's played on lots of uh, films, things like Harry Potter, Inception, Paddington. Oh, I love that Oh, one. so good. Solo, a Star Wars story. That's got a great soundtrack. He's done all sorts of stuff. Um, yeah. Take over, Verity. Well, I was just reading that he is also the co-author of Time Pieces for Trombone. <laughs> and oh, I don't classic. know. Classic. Good pieces to start with if you're beginning. But as well as as well as all this, so Amos has done so much in his career, but he's also he studied experimental psychology at Oxford University before he came to performance, which is quite extraordinary, really. Wow. I know. That that can't have been easy. That doesn't sound no. like an easy course to No, it? no, no, exactly. And as well as all that, in fact, he's also a fantastic photographer and I've been looking at some of his work. It's amazing. He's done some beautiful shots of animals and a whole series on flowers. It's, they're really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's a very, very talented guy. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he did 
he was at Oxford and then he then he went to to the Royal Academy of Music to do a postgrad. So that's where he learnt with John Berry, Eric Kreis, Dennis Wick, Ian Bousfield. Yeah. And um yeah, sort of went on from there to um to become the musician he is today. And he's uh he's a lovely guy. Yeah. And he 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 really thinks about the the sort of psychology behind playing, that mental well-being, yeah, uh, posture and breathing, and that that side of things, which is a huge part part of it, isn't it? And, Absolutely. Um, I just think he'd be and, an amazing head of department. They're lucky. The students coming through now will be very lucky to have him because he's yeah. so positive and he is absolutely gives them glow, a glowing report, doesn't he? In this, he's he's really yeah. appreciates them. It's lovely to hear. So we recorded this one back in June. That's right. Should we just get into the interview? I think we should. Hear all about him for yourself. So here we go. This is Amos Miller. you knee deep in um final recitals at the moment neck deep i'd say yeah absolutely yeah <laughs> oh wow i think yeah. um i'm a bit of a glutton for punishment actually because aside from the third and fourth years um but basically the conservatory scrapped the first and second year recitals that we normally have and just going on tutor reports and um but because I was, I was a bit worried about them all losing momentum, I, I made them all submit me one anyway. So, oh. so I've, uh, I'm, I'm getting towards about my 60th final recital now. So, I'm, oh wow! Uh, but wow. I have to say, it's, it, you know, it, it's it's a sort of double-edged kind of thing because on the one hand, um, you know, it's lovely because you see them all really doing some amazing things. Actually, some enterprising, yeah. resourceful, resilient quite touching quite moving things in their in their bedrooms and announcing yeah. it and doing their thing and on the other hand it just is utterly depressing because what we all do the only reason we do or we, what we do is to be with other people you know it's such a social yeah. thing music that it's kind of a weird a weird thing but it's lovely watching them find their way forward through it anyway absolutely yeah so are they all doing it with with no accompaniment then? um it's up to them completely they're 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 being that uh, they we, we've given we've made it very very clear that there was absolutely no penalty on however they we reduced we reduced the amount of time that they had to give for their recital and yeah. and there's no penalty for any technical considerations at all so they can play unaccompanied with a midi file with pre-recorded video file our, our faculty accompanists has recorded accompaniments for a few of them who wanted it um mm, some of them are more techno savvy than others um yeah. some of them are just doing it on their phone there's the, the university's got a very strict kind of no detriment policy so and we've also yeah we've also triangulated uh, it's a weird expression but triangulated their assessment so that uh, i've had to write a report for everybody as well and all their first studies teachers have had to write a report so however their recital comes across you've also got the backup of how they've done all year from oh, me and from their, so so i think yeah, yeah. I, I don't think I don't, I don't think anybody's going to do worse than they would have done otherwise no, no, absolutely. And are they, are they? Do they have to do it all in one take, or, or can they just give their best version? Um, we decided in the end that um, they can do each movement or single piece has to be in one take. Okay, but if yeah. they're doing a concerto, if they're doing the Hummel Trump concerto, for example, they can do a take per. You know, they can submit. Everything has to be in one go, but only per movement. Yeah, yeah. Per movement. Oh, that's so, nice. Brilliant. Yeah. yeah. So you get take, some kind of live feeling, but at the same time, it's not. Yeah. Not too edited. 
takes a bit of pressure. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's great. Absolutely. And I, what yeah. I've noticed from this, actually, and I, I don't know about you guys with doing recording for other people remotely, but yeah, you, you'd think that it's a lot less pearly and nerve-wracking doing it like this, but it really isn't. No! Yeah. I, find, I find it far more scary than playing with other people, because yeah. particularly <laughs> if you end up recording yourself on voice memos on your phone or something, it just sounds absolutely yeah. diabolical. Yeah. I know, you're I not really getting anything. Like exactly. <laughs> you're not getting anything back as well. So no. when we've done concerts at home and finished a movement and you're like, oh, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> nothing or at best, Rob yeah. just slow clapping me. Yeah. It's, it's very demoralising. The, the, the sound of Leighton Stone tumbleweed going yeah. down high street. Yeah, totally. <laughs> exactly. I was recording my, myself doing something yesterday for um, a Brastards thing and um, it just took me ages. It was the simplest thing, but I just kept, i play it and then record it and then listen back and be like, oh, it's not very good. And then you just keep doing it. And I probably recorded the same easy bit about 50 times. And like, you know, in a gig, you just play it and you wouldn't think anything of it. No, it's, and it's you and you'd play it better because you know that it's gone after you finished. Whereas this way, you're, yeah. Thinking, yeah. you're, you're, you're eternally sort of hidebound by cautiousness, you know. Yeah. We're, we're, <laughs> yeah doing, a, we're, we're doing a conservatoire trombones version of... Um, uh, El- Elton, um, I'm still standing at the moment. And yeah. Oh, brilliant. I- I'm, I'm, you know, I- I'm, I'm going to have to work out how to use editing software because I can't get it's a really stinky part and I'm going to have to, you know, <laughs> work out how to sort of be able to drop myself in on bits, you know. <laughs> Did you watch him on the on the One World concert? Did I you- didn't. No, I saw oh. one clip. But I saw one clip of him in his garden doing a bit of that, which was yeah. quite yeah, extraordinary. Was yeah, was I was one? just wondering if that was the the one you were going to go for. That was your basis. <laughs> well, I, it was it was Rich Watkin actually his first run in CBS. So he he came up with an entire kind of playlist of suitable lockdown titles, and that was that, <laughs> that, that was the one. And we're all we're all going for the full kind of glam look and stupid oh, yeah. wig, wigs and sunglasses, you know. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, when they're recording these, if you had some extraordinary backdrops and things for these recitals, I think that's the thing that would probably really excite me. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's really funny because obviously, I, I, you know, as a sort of university teacher, you quite rightly never see anybody's houses, you know, and, and so you kind of see people's <laughs> backdrops. And it's quite funny. Yeah. It's quite funny sometimes, like if they've got their picture that isn't straight on the wall behind them, I have to sort of <laughs> slightly turn the screen off because it starts annoying me getting my OCD going, it's like straight new picture. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> but, uh, no, I mean, people have been pretty creative, you know, about it all. I have to say they, they've, they've, you know, the good humour with which they've all approached it, approached it, I find really inspiring. Actually, I think yeah. there's a there's a hell of a generation coming out this age, that, that kind of yeah. college age. Oh, they're really, great, really remar- re- remarkable people. I think. Brilliant. Yeah. Oh. Have you been really enjoying your your job there at the Birmingham Conservatoire? Yeah, it, it's been a massive, massive change for me because yeah, I've be. I've spent. Well, you know what it's like being, we're all players, you know, I've been, Yeah. all I've done is play the trombone since I left college in 1995. And uh, I, I, uh, I suddenly feels like having to be a grown up, which I've yeah. never been, you know, because <laughs> I, I think, I think there's something about the kind of, uh, there's something about the setup of an orchestra, especially when you've got a conductor at the front that, that is a little bit reminiscent of being at school. Yeah. You know, there's something about that kind of archaic maestro nonsense that, that that a a lot of maestri tend to abuse, and b we then react like schoolchildren and behave stupidly. Yeah, and, and you Just go and you the back of the exactly, and you go on tour, and it's like a school trip, and you misbehave, and and so 
<clears throat> yeah, it's, it's been it's been a shock to the system. I I, I I still haven't quite got over the fact that they offered it to me. Actually, I, I only applied for a laugh if I'm absolutely candid, um, right. because somebody sent me the job application and it was a very involved kind of university style job application and. I had to fill in all, I had to sort of register on the system and fill in all the stuff. And I, I kind of lost the will to live. And yeah. once I got to the email address, bit, I, I left it. And then I got this little thing that pinged up on my email saying, this job you applied, started your application for, closes in four hours, do you want to finish it? And Ruth was out working and I kind of was watching telly and I had a bottle of wine and I go, so I thought, oh, go on then, give it a go. And then I got shortlisted and I actually couldn't believe it. But I think because I was completely relaxed when I went to the interview, I, because I, I had no kind of... I didn't think I'd ever get it in a million years. So I was just completely myself on on the day. And I think I just, that, that probably, you know, you always do better, don't you, when, you, when you're not worrying about something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, I'm loving it. I, I, there's there's certain, the, the sort of email load is, is um, oh, yeah. wearing, oh, yeah. if I'm honest. Um, and there's some, we're part of a university which has lots of big advantages, but it has lots of uh, kind of bureaucratic protocols that become a tiny bit um onerous sometimes um mm, yeah um so i kind of that that side of things is less uh, less engaging for me but but the students are absolutely epic i completely love them i love watching them do their thing i love watching people and it's not at all for one second about really what people end up doing when they leave in terms of whether they get to be superstar big time first trumpet in the lso or anything it, it's 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 just watching them it's watching people kind of find their confidence and find their independence and find their their own musical voice and and learn how to be happy adults and learn how to be kind of believe in themselves I I just find that utterly joyous I'm absolutely loving that yeah that's so great to hear it's just like totally refreshing and very different actually ethos to when I was at college, I'd say. I don't think those things were so well in place at the time. And have you noticed that? Do you think there's a very different feel these days in conservatoires? Yes. I, I, I mean, I'm not... I, I wouldn't be able to comment on behalf of other ones particularly. No. I mean, I, 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 you know, I taught at the Royal College for a number of years, which was brilliant, and I loved it. Um, but I, the, 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 the position of sort of being a teacher there, you kind of go in and teach and go home, you know, and... Uh, being kind of involved in running is really is really different so i wouldn't want to judge about any other colleges they all no, do sure. brilliant they all do brilliant things but um I, it's a chicken and egg situation i think because i think the, the the students who are coming are different to the way i mean you're a lot younger than me verity and, and so you're, I don't think you're, I am. Young, you're younger <laughs> younger than both of us and um i i you know i certainly pastorally when I, I only did a postgrad and it's the happiest two years of my life apart from oh. primary school I think I had the most amazing time but I was lucky that I was happy while I was there because if I hadn't been there wouldn't have been much provision for me no. not being um but, and I think I think the, the generation of kids who are at music college now are emotionally more literate yeah, I think I think the the social media age and the kind of iPhone age is, is a double-edged thing I think in the sense that I think on the one hand it's caused a huge amount of strife hmm. because because I think kids are um, you know there's this like culture and the self sense of validation has to come from outside hmm. rather than your own self belief. Yeah, but it also has taken away some of their independence. I think in the sense that partly because the whole world's on their phone in their room they don't have the urge to go out in the same way that when we were kids i'd be out 
it's a massive cliche, but I'd be out on my bike, you know, exploring. Yeah. But I would because I'd want to get yeah. out of the house, you know. Um, and I, I think, you know, if I fell off my bike or something bad happened, I, I had a bit more independence at that age. So when I got to go to university, I was kind of gagging to go. Yeah. I was still home. I was still homesick, but I was gagging to get out of the house. Whereas I think now, because the world's in their bedroom a bit more, but also because I think. I do think parents, generally speaking, are more engaged with uh, the emotional needs of their children than they were globally. I'm not sure that's that's a wild generalisation, but I think <laughs> I, I, I do. I do think you know, if I wanted to come out or something, I, I would rather do that now than in. 1988. Yeah. 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 Quite. And 1988 would have been better than 1965. You know what I mean? But that whole thing, I think parents are generally more supportive and interested in their children's emotional well being, I think, possibly. And I'm not talking about my own parents who are great, but, but, you know, there's that kind of thing. But I think, so I think university is more of a kind of, it's more of a step from, from that sick form to, to, to leaving home is a bigger thing than it was when we were kids, I think. Yeah. Yeah, um, and and you, so you did your first degree was at uh, Oxford University doing experimental psychology. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah, I managed to blag my way into that somewhere. <laughs> um, yeah, that's so, excellent. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, was that? Did you did you think you were going to go into doing more of that sort of thing? I mean, obviously you are doing. You know, there are, is an element of psychology <laughs> in what you're doing now, but. But were you always going to be a trombonist or yeah, what? Definitely. Yeah, uh, I I kind of mischose. I, I was a kind of um, obtuse child, and I <laughs> I basically chose my A levels. But the school I was at at the time had a really appalling music department. Um, so yeah. I, the only music I did was O level music. I did one O-level and I was the first year of GCSEs for the rest of it. And I did O-level music a couple of years early and I did it with the English teacher. One of the English teachers ran a kind of extracurricular O-level music class because the music department was was pretty poor. Um, I, I think to give you an example, I never played my trombone in an official school concert once in seven years. Oh, wow. They made me, they, wow. they made me play the violin because I, <laughs> because they needed... And the head of music hated and he just wasn't interested, you know, the fact that I was... Uh, okay on it um so music wasn't in the wasn't in the equation at all in terms of anything other than practically speaking um and then yeah for the sixth form I kind of vaguely harbored a thought that I might want to be a doctor or something but I was really crap at sciences but I thought it's good for me to be crap at something be crap do do a levels and things I'm crap at because then I'll learn something as absolute idiot so (laughs) two out of three of my a levels I was rubbish at which is biology chemistry and in those days, Oxford used to do this thing called fourth term entry where you could take an exam and you could pick, and because I applied for psychology, you could pick any of your A-levels to do your entrance papers on. So I did all three in English, which I was okay at. And I sort of blagged my way in and that gave you a 2E offer. And then I did oh, my level, right. I did my level best to attain exactly two E's after that, <laughs> um, which, I, which I nearly managed. Um, and then, but I definitely, but basically I knew I wanted to go to music college, but at that point but my parents pointed out and I'm very grateful to them in retrospect that having a 2E offer you know they pointed out that a place like that you get loads of really high quality playing anyway Um, and if somebody punches me in the face and I had no teeth then I'd have a degree from somewhere posh 
you know yeah. so it, it was a bit of a battle because it was a science degree and yeah you know I, whilst on the one hand it's quite nice to say oh i did a psychology degree that you know and obviously there's a there's there's an element to which it shows i'm interested in psychology which i suppose is relevant to what i do now but the actual what we covered was it was very scientific and reductionist and not it, it didn't, didn't help me at all um, it must have been the thing that. that got you on that got you on that short list you know when you were <laughs> <laughs> yeah well I, I, I tell you i tell you what probably helped actually though is, is that you know, I, I don't know how many how many essays did you guys write while you were at music college? Oh, minimal. Uh, I don't think I did any actually. I had to do my I dissertation. Yeah, not I many. Didn't do a dissertation? Didn't you? I yeah. What I did, I um, I did something jammy. I I did joint principal study trumpet and natural trumpet, right? Which is a bit of a loophole, but it meant I I did two shorter final recitals. Mm. They're only like half hour each. And no dissertation. What? Amazing. So if I knew that loophole, I would have done cello and natural <laughs> trumpet. It would have been a very different life for me. Cello and natural cello. <laughs> yeah, natural cello. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so so as a contrast, I, the Oxford system made me. I had to write sixteen essays a term. Oof. I had to, I, I had two two oh, a week. Two, two a week plus lectures and practicals, and each essay had to be like five or six sides of A4, and there's a reading list. So. I, I think if anything of that did contribute to getting the job, it, it just was it drilled into me how to write basically a beginning, a middle, and an end, and, and say yeah. you know that kind of, I'm 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 not saying for a second I'm any good at it, but I've got a certain drilled in kind of this yeah. is how you how you write a formal piece of prose That's kind cool. of stuff that was I learned from that I think yeah did it but, fire you up massively as well doing that degree to think right I really want to go to music college now did it sort of oh, spur God, yeah. you. Oh God! Yeah. yeah, just if if only just never to have to write anything ever again with a pen. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I remember I, I remember getting to the academy on my first day of my postgrad, and I had a lesson in the morning with with Bowser, and I had yeah. I think I had um, a sectional in the afternoon for something, and I did an hour's practice, and I was getting to five o'clock and thinking. Oh my god! I literally never have to have anything hanging over me ever again because once I've practiced and I have my lesson, then it's finished. <laughs> I yeah. All yeah. I've all I've got to do is play my trombone ever again, and <laughs> it, it was it was it was like this unbelievable cloud lifting off my head. It was joyous, oh, absolutely wow, yeah. joyous. Oh. I think that's one of the reasons I enjoyed that postgrad so much because it just didn't feel like a chore at all. It just felt like practicing was fun. You can only do a couple, yeah. you can yeah. only do a couple of productive productive hours on a brass instrument anyway. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I had yeah. you know a teacher who played like I'd never had a teacher who played in lessons before, and yeah. I just. I, I literally had to pick my jaw off the floor every time. I'd never had anyone demonstrate anything. And watching Bowser yeah, do this, yeah. he got me tickets for every LSO concert I went to. I mean, oh, I was just like, I was yes. like a pig in shit. I really was. Excuse yeah. my French. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. The quality of the, of the other students there must have been amazing to be just around. Yeah, well, it been a, a competitive atmosphere and that's sort of yeah. Awesome. Actually, the academy at that time yeah, it was it was lovely and they were all they were fantastic. The other students, but there was in my generation at that particular moment. I mean, all colleges come up and down as demographics yeah. change and as personnel in the departments change and all that stuff at that particular moment one of the reasons apart from me and Barrowsford one of the reasons I chose the academy was because I basically everybody of my generation who'd been in MYO and ECY and all those things always, always went to Guildhall and it was you know it was the incredible right. incredible era just about three two or three years ahead of me at Guildhall were you know Graham Lee um, Byron Fulcher yeah. Dave Whitehouse Tracy Holloway all these ridiculous yeah, yeah. Ed Tarrant Dan Jenkins all unbelievable trauma players uh, and and so your expected thing if you'd been to that if you'd gone through that thing you'd go to Guildhall and I, I managed to get a place at Guildhall but they the academy were quite 
quite because they're just appointed John Wallace instead of Brass. They were quite keen to to poach a few people who would normally have gone to Guildhall, and so they offered me quite a big scholarship to to, to come. Yeah. And and because of that, although the standard was really fantastic, there was a definite vibe of. Uh, it was just much more laid back than I think Guildhall was at the particular oh, right. moment. So it was a very, it was a very supportive place. I didn't find it particularly competitive, actually. I, 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 okay. I have nothing but literally nothing but happy memories from it. Oh, it's fantastic, to yeah, yeah, right, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I was there for, for postgrad uh, where it would have been. It was two thousand and nine to ten. I just did a year, um, and by that point, um, well, it was a very it was a very hard place to get into, I think. Well, I didn't get in for undergrad. I managed to get in for postgrad, but um, it was it was a competitive atmosphere, atmosphere, but it was a very supportive one. Oh, that's good. And um, Jim Watson was was still there, um, and it was it was a, a wonderful. I, I remember just particularly like the, the band room by the bar. Everyone would, you know, people would keep their stuff there, but everyone would be practicing all the time. If anyone had a spare half an hour, they'd be playing something from from the Arben. They'd just be or they'd be doing duets. And then that band room was legendary. Day, yeah. yeah, it is. And at the end of the day, everyone would, would have a pint. Yeah, and, and it, it, there was a real, a brilliant mentality. Which um, I, I'd come from the Royal College, and I didn't quite have that right. at Royal College, but I did at the academy. I, I have to say, and it, this is a bit off piece because it's not directly relevant to any of this kind of provision of tuition. But I, one yeah. of the reasons I think the academy has has a thing like that. Uh, this may be a controversial thing to say. It's less to do with who's in charge of pedagogy and who's in charge of the department and who chose anything like that. But the fact that the, their staff, who, there's a bar on site, and the, guy, yeah. the guys who work on the door and Kath, the lovely Irish lady who works in there, you know, they've been yeah. working there for thirty years. You know, they're still the same. If I go back to the academy now to adjudicate something or something, they're still, they still they say hello, Amos, when I walk in, and I haven't been Aww. in there for twenty years. Yeah. They, they've got there's a sort of loyalty in the staff there, which I think. You know, I always say this at the Conservatoire on, on open days. The, 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 one of the things I love about the Conservatoire in Brom is its incredible friendliness. It's absolutely the most warm place to be. Everybody's lovely, and yeah. you can't you can't put that on. You can't you can't suddenly on an open day go, hey, let's be friendly today because people see right. through that shit in absolutely. two seconds flat. <laughs> and yeah. I mean, when I would blag my way into Oxford, the, the, the reason I picked the college I applied for was that when there was an open day and I went to all the colleges and the one I went to was the only one that didn't have elderly ex-army military white males in the door. You know, they had an yeah. Asian, Asian guy and a woman on the door who were the friendliest people on earth. And I just before, I just thought, right, I'm coming here then because they yeah. were so so actively nice when you walk yeah. in. And I, I think, and that was a genuine impression. You know, people put their people on the front facing bits of the institution who they like. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. I, I've had some bad bad experiences at Royal College recently. I've gone back to do rehearsals there, and because I, I I don't know who runs. I mean, there are some people from the security team that have been there for years. I was at junior college before that as well, so I've I've been going there since 1999. Um, and I uh, I I went in recently, and someone on the desk, the security guy, just would not let me through. And I was just going to see a concert and he was just being, he was like, you need to, this person, I was going to see my, my sister-in-law who's doing an opera and she had put my name down, but he wouldn't let me through. And I started getting really angry. <laughs> I just, and I was like, what? I? And like she said to me, I was like, but I, I used to go here and, and you're not letting me through. Like what? I'm not a stranger. Yeah. <laughs> I actually said that too. It's so embarrassing, but no, I, I, well, know, just, I felt a bit affronted by that. Yeah. I'm not surprised. Yeah. It, it's a it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because I, 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 yeah. you kind of 
that people are just doing their jobs and that's obviously in a very sen- yeah, know, sen- sen- sensitive part of London yeah. and all that kind of, you know there's the opposite alcohol and all the rest of it but uh, there, yeah. I don't know. There are ways. There's I just, a way. Yeah. There, there's just, I didn't just, deal with it very well. No, but I think <laughs> you know. You, 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 but I, 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 you have to. It works as it goes as a society as well, isn't it? You've got to yeah. invest in people who are doing those jobs. You know, and generally yeah. speaking, those jobs are done by people who are being paid absolutely stuff all yeah. you know yeah. and you've got to pay yeah. you've got to pay those people properly and you've got to train them properly and make them feel enfranchised yeah. in their job and not outsourced to some public some private company that's not paying them properly you know you've, they've got to be part of the fabric of the building and included in your which is what's yeah. nice in the conservative because the, the guys on the front desk are you know they're yeah. they have the same bcu badge i do you know that there's no I, I find it very democratic or i don't I don't wouldn't ever regard myself as being above anybody in that situation. The guy who's on the front desk at Guildhall was brilliant as well. He used to, I, he just used to talk about the effing O's. That was the, like our main source of conversation for the entire four years I was there. He was brilliant. Oh, do you see what? the effing O's this weekend? Late in Orient. So I feel uh, like I've come around full oh. circle. <laughs> I was yeah. going to say, how about that? You ended up living there. Yeah, yeah, I know. So were, were, were you living there at the time? No, I wasn't at all. I just used to humour him. And he was um he was such a lovely guy, but that was like literally his favourite topic of conversation was the effing O. So <laughs> I'm glad that I've honoured him in some way or another by That's coming great. to live God, here. He'd, he'd be proud of you. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> it's obviously subliminally gone in, hasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it totally has. <laughs> so, um, are, are there any sort of specific things that you've you've brought to the brass department at Birmingham that you've? Were, were there any things you thought? All right. With this, I definitely want to bring this idea in. Um, yeah, there were not not particularly because it was Birmingham and, and they were lacking there particularly, but just because there were things that are important to me. Yeah, I, I'm, and this is not also not to say that none of the other places do these things either. So I'm not trying to make myself course, sound like yeah, I'm unique or anything. But, <laughs> no, well, yeah. for, for me, and I don't know about you guys, but you know, I find. Just from a really personal perspective, my playing is is ninety nine percent mental battle and one percent technical. You know, yeah, yeah. I, 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 you know, I get nervous and I, I, I have a hugely well honed ability to talk myself out of anything at any given moment, <laughs> and um, and and I, it's it's always been a part of my teaching anyway, even before that at the college is is to be very open about that. I don't have any problem saying to my students that I struggle with things, I get nervous, I have anxieties. Yeah. I don't have any problem saying that I've had therapy in my life. If you've got a mental health problem, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's, great. That, that it's completely okay. It's completely normal. You know, if yeah. you break your ankle, you'd be an idiot if you don't go to casualty. If you, you know, are you, and so I've been very open with all the students from the first day I've got there, that, that mental health is central to, because fundamentally, even obviously from a moral perspective, it's completely the most important thing that people are happy and you do everything you can to facilitate that. But from a, pragmatic perspective even if you want to be cynical if you want people to achieve they need to be in a good place and i think yeah Yeah. so i'm really chuffed there's a few things you know so in my first term there i introduced i I, from from the brass budget i paid for somebody to come do mindfulness every week Mm. with the brass students um and i'm really chuffed by by the end of the first term that the piano and woodwind students had said to their heads why don't we get it you know so we 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 clubbed together for the second term and and this year we get it the whole conservatory has it for all staff and students every week once a week um that's great um, and it's lovely you know there's only there's normally about between 10 or 20 people there and it differs every week but there's quite often the vice principal turns up the, the the principal's pa turns up 
then you know then first year students it's an incredibly sort of equaling place to be where where we all acknowledge that we've got shit we're working on and and, and yeah. it's and that's really okay so that's something i feel really strongly about um yeah i'm really interested in in how you present yourself physically because i think the posture has a massive bearing on the way you perform i think yeah I'm going to draw my shoulders back up now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Everyone sits we all up just sat up there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, the thing is, posture is reflective, isn't it? Ninety-nine point nine percent of the time, you know, you can walk down the street in happier times than this, and you can walk down the street or on the tube and see people, and you can kind of guess their state of mind from the way they are physically. Yeah. And yeah, what I'm trying to instill in the students in the way that I have to do in myself is that actually even if you can't get control of your brain and tell it to feel better or more confident, you can get control of your body and get it to assume a posture of being more confident. So get your, yeah. get yourself into the position of sometime you felt good about something and that has a really yes. positive effect on the way you play, you know. Because yeah. basically they're all strategies I've had to use in my own playing to be able to, yeah. Get, yeah. Be able to get away with it all these years, you know. So I, um, I, I remember um, uh, a gig I was doing at the Royal Opera House. I was playing Rite of Spring and you came in and did a, you sight, well, you didn't sight read, you probably played it many times before, the valve trombone bit. Oh, the bass trumpet bit, right, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah bass trumpet, I was sitting, yeah. Sitting next, I very clear, sitting next to you, I remember it, very clear. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> I, but I remember that, um, it was, what was it, like 2013 or something like that. It was a few years ago. Um, but I remember specifically your... You, the way you sat before because you've got in that piece like if, you, if people don't know it you know you, you sit there doing nothing for 20 minutes and then you come in with like a solo it's, 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 it's incredibly pearly yeah that yeah exactly and and you it, it was like the fourth show or something and you were just coming in as like last minute cover i believe i think like, yeah Lindsay was off sick i think Lindsay was off um so obviously that's quite a Camp could be quite a nerve-wracking oh, big time, thing yeah. to do, but I remember. I just remember your the way you sat and your you just were looking around. You were you were taking in everything. You were and maybe that was a a, a way of just make, putting yourself at ease. But you you seemed re- really engaged with everything, and you didn't look nervous at all. You just looked really uh, engaged with the music, and and then you played it fantastically. But I don't know. I, I just remember remarking on that in terms. Oh, that's nice. That, nice. That's really well, great. Yeah. Great way of approaching. Well, that yeah. I mean, mission accomplished because I would definitely have been nervous. I mean, it's you know, I, uh, I mean, I have played that very, very many times. But it's one of those things that because I'm not a valve player. <laughs> To get it, I always have to get it out a few days in advance to get yeah. it back into the fingers again because it's really awkward. Yeah, yeah. That, um, so I, yeah, no, that would definitely be a, I mean, sitting up would definitely be part of a strategy in terms of listening to the music. I, I, I that's probably just instinctive for me because I, do, yeah. I, I do feel very conscious that, especially now, oh my god, um, <laughs> we're, we're, we're lucky to have done what we have done, you know, we're lucky to play music for a living it's a most extraordinary privilege to do what we do absolutely i i, I had about three lessons off dennis wick when i was at university because uh, that's what i could afford and um and the entire thing was worth it. he said the one sentence that stays with me more than any other teacher which is in, in my last lesson with him he said the thing about you amos the thing is <laughs> try my mouth this no, um, <laughs> no he said the, the, thing, the thing about you is that you like to play a tune you know you're a bright young man and you like to play a tune and i think you're going to be you're i'm worried you're going to be bored playing the trombone professionally and he said what you have to remember is that you know as a trombone player in an orchestra, you're a craftsperson. You're somebody who you've got to imagine like you're a fine cabinet maker from the Georgian era making Chippendale chairs. And you're, it's not art. 
but it is something beautiful that you're doing as well as possible. You're doing it as well as you possibly can, and you do that when you play, and the rest of the time you're being paid to sit in the best seat in the house to listen to all the ge- geniuses around you. <laughs> yeah. And I, I swear that that has kept me going more than anything else I was ever taught. For example, you know, if we're, if we're doing Swan Lake, you know, somewhere, eight shows of Swan Lake somewhere in a touring theatre with a pit with a bad acoustic, and you, it's very easy to sit there and get mopey, and I have massively mm-hmm. done on occasions. But then I remind myself that we've got a leader in the ballet also in Robbie, who's one of yeah. the greatest violin players on earth. I mean, genuinely yeah, one of the greatest absolutely. violin players for me. And he'll knock out those solos eight times in a week and it'll sound different every time. And he's sitting 20 feet across from me in a ballet pit playing like Albert Sammons or 18-year-old Yehudi Menion or something. It's absolutely yeah. extraordinary, you know. Yeah. And I'm being paid. I mean, I'm not being paid very much, but I am being paid. It's just yeah. absolutely amazing. You know, what a, yeah. what a life. Yeah, that's great. And do you still enjoy playing with the ballet after? I How love long it. have you been there now? Uh, I joined in, gosh, uh, 2002, 2003, yeah. somewhere around there. Um, I took a sabbatical last year, previous yeah. year, because of starting the job in Brum, just to get my head around that. Um, yeah which I'm glad I did because it kind of cleared the decks a little bit to, to get my head around all the sort of, uh, you know, being a, being a grown-up bit. Um, uh, but, but um, yeah, no, I've um, I've got, uh, I'm really happy I've been, but I mean, it, it's interesting that the first thing back was Swan Lake, which yeah. is something that I, I refused to play for about 12 years because I hated it so much. And, <laughs> I, and I've really enjoyed it since coming back. I've been so appre- right. so appreciative of it since coming back. Oh, that's and, great. And I, I just love that orchestra. I love the people in it. You know, I, I, there's just a lovely kind of, it couldn't be less up itself, that orchestra. Yeah. And, I, yeah, and yeah. I love that. It's just a load of people doing the best they can on a given night and trying to be nice to each other. And it's lovely, you know. Yeah. It really does seem like that. It always seems like such a nice atmosphere. Yeah, Even it's to brilliant. go in as a deaf, it doesn't feel like. I was so nervous on the first time, especially because I really felt like I didn't want to go in and let Rob down. Oh, for <laughs> so, your sake. Yeah. <laughs> well, I slightly <laughs> thought that. Uh, but, yeah, it's just such a nice atmosphere there. There's no... It it quickly subsided, that feeling of stress. Yeah, definitely. That's brilliant. Before we um, came on to speak to you earlier, we were having a little chat about... Um, BAME uh, musicians, the fact that there seems to be a real problem that they're just not filtering through into the profession. And I was wondering, we were saying that, you know, you're probably perfectly placed to see if if there is any change in that, whether you're getting more BAME musicians coming to audition. And if not, like, is it there's something going wrong earlier on in music education that... Uh, that's a oh, that's a massive question. Um, I, I haven't been there. I've I've only done two audition cycles so far. Right. Um, so it's too early for me. I can't give you anything statistically significant in no, terms no, of saying sure. what, what's changing or not. I, I do fear that the whole wider ops situation with music teaching is an unmitigated utter disaster because I, I just don't know how anybody can do 30 kids all at once yeah. in anything. Mm-hmm. I, I, I just can't see any way in which it wouldn't be better if you just funneled all that money to means testing, not means testing, all, funneled all that money to aptitude testing kids from every school you could possibly can, state school you possibly can at an early age. And just, you know, like the Royal College has done this brilliant Sparks program for years now yeah. where they've gone to some pretty tough schools because there are still a few pretty tough schools in, in, in you know, in terms of um, kind of, you know, affluent 
parenting uh, in, in Kensington, Chelsea Borough, um, and they picked out talented kids who were keen. And they've now got the first people graduating from senior college having gone through that. They've paid for their lessons and they've targeted, you know, they've gone and done very small targeted sessions and one-to-one lessons right from the start with people who've got aptitude and made it free. Brilliant. And that's that's got to be, you know, you can't teach 30 kids the cornet and no. one of the reasons why there's a massive French horn shortage is because like if you've got 30 kids you're not going to stick a couple of them on an instrument that faces backwards and has a hand in it and <laughs> is in a funny key and that's why there's a French horn shortage you know trombone is it's pretty weird with the slide you know and so it ends up being you know 90,000 trumpets and you know one of everything else you know yeah. um, so I, I think that there's, there's a massive demographic issue on that Um mm. I think there's, you know, classical music is... I mean, God, this is a really topical question at the moment, isn't it? Yeah. Um, There's so much... Even for people, we would all consider ourselves massively anti-racist, non-racist people, and I'm sure we've all got latent privilege that we're not even aware of. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure sure there's huge aspects of my own privilege that I don't even... I, I wouldn't even be able to articulate to be honest, yeah. in a way that I'm, I'm really, I'm ashamed of that and I'm working hard to try and not be like that. And I, I would hope that I'm, you know, that we're trying to, you know, not be, but we've got to acknowledge that we're failing on that one, I think. Um, yeah. So, yes, I mean, I'd say our BAME representation of the Conservative world widely is, is, is within the brass market, I don't think it's great, you know. We'd probably four or five people out of 80 but i guess it's got to be something breaking down like prior to conservatory because you know obviously when like you were saying you have these big group sessions early on and same for strings you know in schools where they have the big group learning sessions and then there's obviously something that happens at some point where you know i just don't know what when i I, when i've taught young kids and the 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 makeup of, of different ethnicities has been very varied and, and yeah i mean i've taught in you know in lambert in schools in lambeth and all over the place and, and it's yeah but it obviously then you don't get past that level where it's that sort of beginner maybe grade one or two um and i and i mean it's probably just a, a huge mixture of different cultures and and maybe class and just people you know just people not knowing that that uh, conservatoires are, are a thing or, or, yeah. or being or be, you know becoming a musician as a profession is a is an actual thing as a you know so so obviously something's happening in between that that gap and and it's just not getting through to yeah. that so well i mean my, my, get, level. my guess is that the, the racism in this country is so institutional that that yeah. that, that i mean the, the demographic of BAME communities is generally speaking less affluent and is in yeah. a tougher place because they haven't had the opportunities that yeah. more privileged people have had therefore they don't have the level of parental support at home they don't have the level of resource at home to support that stuff um and and then you add that to the wider opportunities thing where they're not getting targeted support because you can possibly you could possibly get beyond that if you have some kind of one-to-one session with somebody who's really inspiring once a week or one-to-two session you could bring people into that and get them fired up on their own but with 30 kids probably and about half of your lesson is dealt with crowd control you know when we teach when we teach pedagogy at the conservatoire which is they they have a brilliant pedagogy course there one of the things we cover is is crowd control you know how how you how you what your strategies are to deal with you know with 30 rowdy kids when i was 
I wasn't really ever taught how to teach, but the, the, the academy's uh, you know teaching qualification in 1993 was pretty <laughs> pretty uh, token, I have to say. But um, I had to do one 20 minute lesson. That was it. But, <laughs> but I mean, wow. no, 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 nobody nobody ever mentioned for one second what it was like having to deal with 30 people and how to do furniture moving and how to do yeah you know exactly. not, you know like taking timeouts and all all these strategies that our students have to really be aware of. You know so. Yeah. I would say it, it, it's, it's it's sort of you know there, 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 there's aspects from both angles. I think there's aspects from you know in terms of the way it's funded and the way it's provided for and the importance or lack of that the, the, the government have given to it as as a thing. Yeah. Um, and but demographically, the sort of result of institutional lack of opportunities, you know, deprivation, yeah. you know, yeah, would be my exactly. guess. So it's a yeah. bit of a hateful a, question. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> No, I mean, I, I'm I'm completely no expert, whatever, and I'm 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 constantly trying to find ways to better myself on that one. But um, well, no, absolutely, yeah. I feel exactly the same. And uh, yeah. so I guess it's a sort of general question, really, to all of us, because I I've been going through that same thought process myself. So just getting it out there, really. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah there's some, you know, I mean, that's why you can never undervalue. I, I worry for Sheikhu Kali Mason in the sense that I think the record company have found somebody really presentable and super talented and oh, yeah. I, I, I worry that he's being rinsed for all his worth and that maybe his own personal needs are possibly coming second to the record company and how hard he's having to work yeah. I, I worry about yeah. that slightly but 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 my god he's going to have an impact and he is already yeah. having an impact what yeah. a talent. That there's a super talented young uh, black trumpet player coming through from scotland aaron akukbo i don't know if you've come across him oh yeah i've, yeah, I've worked with him yeah i mean he's uh, he, he his quintet connaught brass came and played at our brass festival that we had earlier in the year and i I was blown away by the whole group. I thought the group was fantastic, but I was he, he really has got something. I mean, he's a really special player, I think. So, oh. But I mean, but, you know, he, I'm sure he doesn't. I mean, he, he's a very articulate young man, very bright, but I don't suppose he wants to be a bloody flag waver. Do you know what I mean? No, he just, that's he, just, it. he doesn't want to be there because he's that. He just wants yeah. to be taken on his merits, which he will be because he's a fantastic player. But, yeah. you know, that's a, a massive ball ache for him to have to be... Yeah. having to have that responsibility yeah. on his shoulders you know yeah completely yeah. it's hard, it's, hard yeah. enough playing the trumpet on its own without having <laughs> anything else you know yeah. a lot of it is is representation so that young kids can see that that it's not just a, a club for for uh, white yeah um, so, well i mean you know the music is a very 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 tiny and much less bad microcosm of politics isn't it yeah in the sense that un until we have david lammy as prime minister like if we could ever get david lammy as prime minister or in a really big senior role in government yeah. for example just because i find him one of the most inspiring orators around and, and yeah, somebody great. who somebody who i really admire as a person if we could get him in a position of public really public responsibility i'm sure that would open up and, and again poor him having to have to have that weight of responsibility but you've, yeah. you've seen the way the the, the public you know, Diane Abbott has a mojito on a train and she's pilloried in the papers and slagged yeah. off by everybody and has a hate yeah. campaign against her. And Dominic Cummings rinses the entire nation and is yeah. a disgusting, disgusting, overprivileged idiot yeah. who, who yeah. you know, who spends his whole time dressing down and looking scruffy just to show that he doesn't have any respect for the elite. But he's about literally as elite as they possibly yeah. come. I mean, he's yeah. elite, elite, elite face, that bloke. And he's trying to <laughs> and he's trying to pretend that he isn't. And, and he gets away with it and he keeps his yeah. job and he doesn't have to resign. And everything. I mean, it makes me 
bilious with rage that. Yeah. And yeah. until that shit gets sorted, we're completely stuffed. I mean, we can do what we can in the music business, and I'm not trying to shrug my shoulders, and I will work yeah. tirelessly to try and make it better. But, you know, yeah. we're fighting against a system that's just an utter disgrace, if I'm honest. Completely. Sorry, I've gone on a bit of a rant there. No, I was, I was that is... Be, uh, abs- away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly, it's good. Uh. <laughs> Just relieved it's not me for a change because I feel no. like that's all I'm doing. I've just got to stay off Twitter because... <laughs> oh, Verity, you, you, you went on Twitter before the podcast started. I, well, I know. And now you are. And all I see is you you just shouting at Shouting at Tories. Yeah, shouting Shout, at Tories. Yeah. That's all I do. I, I had to stop myself. I had to I literally put my phone down and walk away for a few hours the other day because I, I'd been through them all. I'd done everyone. It was time yeah. to stop. <laughs> no, I know. I, Have any replied to you yet? No. <laughs> Funnily enough, no. <laughs> no, exactly. There's yeah. a nice a, nice anagram I saw. Hang on, where is it? Um, give me one second. There, there's a, um, you know that stay alert, control the virus, save lives. Oh, yeah. the, yes. the, the Telegraph crossword compiler made that, worked out that's an anagram of easily survives, travel north to castle. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, that's excellent. God, that is so <laughs> great. Brilliant. That's so good. <laughs> Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Oh, well, that, to move away from uh, depressing news, we spoke to Charlotte Harding the other day. Hey, and, great. Yeah. I know she's yeah. so fab, isn't she? And I gather she's working with you guys at Onyx Brass. Yeah, she's, she's writing us a piece at the moment, which is very exciting. That's so great. Have you had anything yeah. from her? Has she said Not yet. Oh. Not yet. No, I, I've been not nagging, but I think she said she'd have something reasonably soon. So I'm quite excited about that. We spoke yeah. right at the very beginning of lockdown. So I'm hoping we, she's, yeah, she's writing us a five or six minute thing. So I, I love her music. So, and she's such yeah. a nice, nice person. I'm really looking forward to to seeing what's we've got a few commissions in the pipeline at the moment which is exciting so that's so uh, exciting um what was it for anything in particular are you commissioned her for is it a concert series or um recording we're prime well part a bit of both we're primarily for a recording we're putting together a cd um uh which hopefully we'll record the year after next uh, mm-hmm. which is a little bit little bit sort of under wraps at the moment and then but 2023 is our is our 30th anniversary as a oh, quintet wow which is slightly terrifying yeah <laughs> um i mean it really is absolutely terrifying you so, started it in primary school of yeah, yeah re- <laughs> recep- re- reception <laughs> yeah <laughs> and i was only two when i started reception <laughs> Yeah. genius yeah <laughs> um yeah so yeah that's a bit scary um but yeah we're hoping to have a, have a kind of big year of good i mean commissioning has been yeah. our commissioning has been our big thing we worked out recently that we've premiered 
over 200 pieces now. Wow. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah. Which I'm, I'm very proud of, actually, I have to say. I kind of, you know, I feel like when we hang up our hooters at the end of whenever, we'll have contributed something. You know, we haven't we haven't lost our... Yeah. I, I kind of feel that quite often brass quintets start off with that kind of ethos of trying to commission stuff and then go down the easy route after a bit. And I feel really proud that we haven't done that, you know, that, that we're still playing away, getting new stuff written. I think it's really good. Yeah, that's a proper legacy you've left. And, we, and I don't... It's very, very few concerts we've... We, we programme at least one piece that was written for us in pretty much every single concert we've ever done so every audience wherever that audience is has always wow. heard something new that's amazing so how, i mean is that just is that through like amazing funding that you're, you're able to uh, no to uh, well we've we've had we've been lucky i mean we've there's we've worked for this thing called the john armitage memorial which puts on uh, has commissioned at least one new piece for brass quintet choir and organ every year and we've had a bit of funding from the prsf two or three times but otherwise for example, our jazz composers CD that we released a couple of years ago, where we've got 12 brand new works from uh, Kenny Wheeler, Guy Barker, Gwilym Simcock, um, yeah. Jason Rebello, Martin Nightingale, um, Liam Noble, that parade of amazing guys. Um, that was all funded by ourselves. I mean, we just take we just take a percentage out of every gig fee, and and uh, right. and it's a combination of us us paying ourselves less and us not paying them enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, no one wins. No one wins. Everyone loses. <laughs> but, uh, Art wins. Art wins exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. It's been going so long. I mean, brass quintets. Uh, probably the percentage of brass quintets that lasts longer than about six months is. It's, it's, <laughs> it's ba- basically Peter Gaines said to us near the beginning. He said, "If you if you, if you can survive your first year after you've left college, then you'll be fine." <laughs> yeah. Um, so I mean, as you can imagine, with like you know, Alan and Niall, their diaries are pretty epic because they're both yeah. monster players, and so it is a huge juggling act. But um, we're actually doing a concert a couple of weeks time we're doing a socially distanced live youtube premiere thing oh, yes. oh. which I, I i'm wow. beyond excited about i i, I, yeah. I, I i'm slightly genuinely slightly worried that i'm just going to cry because <laughs> oh, yeah. i mean I, I was watching telly the other day and swan lake came on and it made me cry oh. even swan lake made me cry it's like there's, there's something kind of desperation to go out and play with people that it's kind of <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, uh, the end of Billy Elliot always makes me cry. Oh God! The, um, yeah, the end of that with the oh. music and the, and his dad's in the audience. Yeah. Oh my God! That's what we were watching. That's literally what oh, we were watching. We <laughs> it, oh. And Swan Lake came on, and I looked. I looked at Ruth, uh, who's an oboist, and therefore Swan Lake is the devil's work. <laughs> yeah. And we were both we were both weeping. You know, <laughs> <laughs> pathetic. <laughs> Do you have um, much impact? Um, impact input rather into the commissions, or is it a mixture? depending on who you're commissioning? Um, it, it tends to be uh, people have people they know and people they chat up. I mean, the jazz disc was my baby um, yeah. just because I'm obsessed with jazz and I always have been. And I, I was lucky enough to play on one of Gwilin Simcox's records. And so I chatted him up and um, and his drummer played for Kenny. And I, and I did a jazz course with Kenny Wheeler in the 90s. And and, and he said, oh, ring, yeah. ring him, ring him. He won't mind, he won't mind. And, 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 and you know, Jason Ravello has been my hero since I was about 18. So they're all people who are my heroes, basically. So that, that was Brilliant. kind of my baby. Otherwise, we just use our contacts and friends basically to find people and know who know people and approach people. I've just I've always been of the mindset that if you don't, you know, my mum taught me really young that if nobody minds being asked their advice, yeah. And by the by the same token, if you go to a composer and say I really like your music, do you fancy writing something for us? The worst they can say is no. 
Yeah, exactly. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and, and, totally. And you quite often get surprised by people that come back and, you know, like Kenny, you know, left him a voicemail and I had a missed call from Kenny. I took a screenshot of it. I had a missed call from <laughs> Kenny Wheeler on my phone. This guy's been my oh. hero since, I, you know, yeah. trumpet, God, yeah. you know. It's kind of yeah. Kenny Wheeler, my God. So, you know, just don't be afraid to ask people, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You were studying, yeah. was that when you were out in Banff that you met him? Yeah. Yeah. How was it out there? Like, I'm a bit obsessed with Banff because uh, Sophie Gledhill, a cellist, you probably know her. I know Sophie, yeah. Um, yeah, she was out there as well a while ago and it just, A, it looked incredible place to be. But also, she, I mean, how exciting. She did the proper sort of shedding, didn't she? Went and practised a lot. And, yeah. But basically, I, I blagged my way there, really, because I was at the academy and they gave me this kind of English-speaking union scholarship to go and study abroad one summer. And, and Banff was the only one that the dates fitted, but there was nothing going on in the classical department at Banff. So I just right. said, can I, go, can I go to the jazz course? And luckily, the demo thing I'd sent, the demo C90 I'd sent, had, <laughs> had, I, I, I used to play in a band at uni who... I don't know if you know the band Groove Armada. Um, yeah, yeah. Basically, the the tall guy in Groove Armada was the bass player in my band at uni, and um, Andy. And we used to yeah. we used to play in this band called Trappist Funk, which is, there's a very <laughs> there's a very rare and exclusive ten inch of that band, which is bloody good actually. Um, <laughs> and he, he's a monster talented bloke. I mean, great bass player, piano player, trombone player, everything. He's amazing. Um, ah. Did he play on the um, by the river? Yeah, that's him playing trombone, bastard. Oh great! Because oh, our, yeah. our, our first our first record we ever did, I, I was on ECYO in that summer, and I came back and they'd done a record, and I was just expecting there to be no trombone on it, and there was a trombone solo which was really good, and I was like, who did that? And he's like, Andy was like, oh, I did it. What? You're the bass player. <laughs> um, so, yeah, laid-back Yorkshireman, lovely guy. Um, so, so basically I put a couple of tracks off that onto my demo tape for Banff and they said, yeah, OK, you can come on the jazz course because they were short of drummers. So, uh, um, yeah, I had an amazing time. I mean, Jim Hall was a guitar tutor, uh, Kenny Wheeler, Robin Eubanks for trombone, Pat LaBarber on sax, uh, you know, Norman Winston, John Clay. It was ridiculous. Uh, it, yeah. The steepest four-week learning curve of my life. I, I've oh, never wow. been so roundly roasted so many times. <laughs> but it was amazing. Had you had you learned jazz trombone before, like uh, properly? N- not properly, no. I mean, I, my very first teacher was a jazz nut and before he would teach me he took me to see Roy Williams and the old Duke in Bristol when I was eight to go and see some proper jazz you know uh, so it's always been a total obsession of mine but I, I, so I've listened my whole life I'm, I'm a very very listened person in jazz I've got a thousand jazz LPs at home and I mean I'm record yeah. geek and all that um, but in terms of actually studying it properly, I've always winged it. I, I played my way through university and also in a jump jive band. So I was, you know, I'm really happy around rhythm changes, anything bluesy, rhythm changes is fine. But when you stuck me in front of a Kenny chart with a whole load of slash chords and yeah. horrific sus chord, I mean, <laughs> I, I got slightly, it was a bit like tonic, tonic, tonic. Oh God, I don't know. Um, and, Sounds like I mean, an that, anxiety that, dream. It was, uh, we had, a, we had a class one afternoon with, with um, Jim Hall and, and he, 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 he did it. He, he, we did Waltz for Debbie with Jim Hall, and that's quite a hard tune to solo over. I don't know if you know that. Yeah. It's quite a tricky little tune. Oh. Soloing in three is horrible yeah, anyway, and it's an right, awkward yeah, yeah. little tune. It's not hard if you're a proper jazzer, but it's, I found it hard. And I was, he was being very constructive and nice for me, and like, well, you want to play the fifth on that one? And, that. and there was a really monster guitarist in my group, and he was giving him quite a hard time. He said, hey, that's Licky, you'd be more interesting. And then we did a graphic score. He did this kind of pictorial score, which is like, I'd seen loads of that in classical, you know, contemporary stuff. So I was really comfortable with that. And he patted me on the shoulder afterwards and said, oh, I thought you'd like that one. I, because you can't read chords properly. Because I remember the first, the first time I ever took a, a solo myself, was in my school 
small jazz group when I was about 14. And I remember I, I remember blushing and the blush not going away for sort of six or seven hours. Uh, you know, sort of, but, but at that age, once you've done it, you, you don't do it again the next time. And so I don't have any fear of it now at all. Yeah, no. oh, that's really good. It, and it's useful, you know, I, I've turned up on, I, I remember doing an RPO day in Henley on Thames for some summer prom thing, and it was a James Bond night, and Noel Langley was on lead trumpet, it was a proper sort of yeah. jazz, and, and I suddenly turned my page over, and there was a 16-bar Latin solo in my part with oh chords. And, and yeah. it, but I, I feel really great. I, I thought, oh, yeah, that'd be fun, because I'd done it, and so it was fun. And I, I, I'm not saying for a second I was Martin Nightingale or Andy Wood or anybody in that league, but I didn't make an absolute idiot of myself because I'd sort of done it, you know. At least I don't yeah. think I did. <laughs> no. Yeah, I've, I've been in a similar situation where you're in a, a section of mainly sort of straight players and then someone will have a solo in their part because it's, you know, concert orchestra or yeah. that sort of thing. And they're, at, they're suddenly, oh, I can't play that, I can't play that. C- can you can you do it? Um, it's like, yeah, fine, I'll, yeah, I'll do it. Because I mean, I've, I've, I've got a you know, sort of similar background to yeah. you. I, think. I just did jazz orchestra and stuff. And and I, I've, I've not never studied jazz like properly like like the guys at, at royal academy who were doing like the jazz course and they were and the same sort of thing i was doing like a big band thing with them and teacher was saying you're just playing licks you're just playing stuff play something say something you know i've not studied it to that level no ever, normally but i can if someone if someone gives me something to you know eight bars i'll play something you know i'll just yeah and it's good i don't just listen back might not sound very good but, but, no, but I think something. it's confidence is <laughs> is, is seven eighths of that battle i think in terms of that particular, yeah. you know you might not want to record something but you just get away with it and look you know look kind of confident about it yeah that's right absolutely yeah do, do you bring any of that to birmingham conservatoire well we've got an amazing jazz department there so um of course yeah jeremy price runs it trombone player um and they've got fantastic kind of set up there with a brilliant jazz club in the building so i mean i'm very much you know he's quite often short to trombones and nearly always short of bass trombones who are endangered species um so, so he, he he kind of borrows our trombones quite often and i'm always hugely encouraging of my my orchestral guys to get as involved as they possibly can with that you know yeah. i mean we we've got a fourth year beam you know a guy who's just graduating at the moment a trombone player on the orchestral course who's played lead in their big band for the last three years you know and i have no doubt whatever he's got the most extraordinary high register this guy toby and he he, he you know playing these ellington black and tan suite where there's one number where he goes up to yeah. super a flat all that stuff's completely developed his high chops in yeah. a massive way no no question so you know i i, I program as much interesting stuff as i can and I, you know, I think it's probably all I can really do is to, you know, I've got my remit of things I need to, I have to kind of do, but I'm hugely kicking their asses to go and watch as much as they possibly can in the jazz club and get involved as much as they can, yeah. you know, because yeah, yeah. you learn so much from that, I think. Oh, yeah. And and also, I mean, the, the, the world that they're going to go into, they could be, they could end up getting a gig with a pop band or, just, or, exactly. or working in the West End. I mean, you've got to be able to play everything. Yeah, um, exactly. And I, I don't know, is your sort of the, the what do you call it, the, the, the sort of curriculum you, ha- you have to follow it? Um, does it in, does it incorporate any of those sort of things, or is it is it does it tend to be geared towards the orchestral? Side? No, no, it definitely does. I mean, we we, we cover quite a lot of bases, obviously, because we've got a brass band course as well, so we've got that side of things. Yeah, um, but we've also 
but basically we do they do rep classes twice a week and I vary that as much as possible so we've done everything from Star Wars-y type things we did a full orchestra rep was my first foray into conducting a full orchestra we did a full orchestra muddy field day um, oh, where, 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 where we didn't give any of the students any of the music in advance and they had to hack through Bolero uh, 1812 Pomp and Stomp all, all that kind of stuff just yeah. to get the idea of what that feels like um, I did a whole load of mock film sessions with them um, uh, like, did stemmed out proper film sessions I, I managed to blag a lovely composer um, who I'd done some work for he managed to to blag something off a library session I'd done for him which is a sort of perfect little generic western kind of soundtrack and so yeah. we got we, I got the music tech guys involved and they created a click map for it from the score and then oh, we put it together fantastic. and they've got yeah. a great studio there so we put that all together as a, as a so that all the students got a chance to have the click on and what we did was that the first half of each session I was really helpful and then in the, se- the, se- yeah. the second half of this session I was deliberately being completely out from the, from, from the click just because I don't know for you guys yeah. the first time you have a click and you have somebody waving not in time yeah. it's horrifically <laughs> distracting so oh. I spent the whole of the second half of the session beating a beat out to see yeah. if I could put them off you know? so oh my God. Just, to get, just to get used to, yeah. them used to that idea you know I was watching a video today it came up on, on Facebook um, about con- how to conduct the start of Beethoven 5 oh. and uh, it was like a, a really good conductor telling a, a sort of beginner conductor how to do it and um i mean that's just so hard it is <laughs> like i mean particularly with that like i think there's some really technical things you've got to do there but but also a lot of it's like you say is is just the confidence and getting 90 people or I don't know if it's that many but but getting everyone to actually believe you and go with you yeah absolutely yeah I, it's, that's a really interesting piece to quote I, the, the one of the jammiest tours I've ever done in my life it was in 1999 with the Philharmonia we did this Millennium Disney tour when they released Fantasia 2000 they um, oh, yeah. the Chicago Symphony Orchestra did the soundtrack but they couldn't afford to take them on tour around the Millennium so they, I went with the Philharmonia and Dan Jenkins and I were Brilliant. doing offstage trombone and the only number we were in were the Pines of Rome which was the second number in yeah. I mean 12 days in New York with three concerts oh I mean it's just and then <laughs> oh, Japan and LA for the Millennium we went to the Disney Millennium oh D- my L- god D- the, 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 the Disney Disney Millennium Party where Chicago were playing. It was amazing. It was absolutely no way. It was ridiculous. Um, a brilliant trip. And James Levine was conducting that. And the first number in Fantasia 2000 is about over five. And he's conducting it with a screen that has streamers on it and a, a pulse, you know, so he can see streamers going from first to the bar, bonk, 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 da, 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 yeah. you know. And he did every single one except the Millennium gig one. He's obviously doing grander things that night. But he did every single yeah. concert. And every single night, when he was conducting, it went da 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 da, and that's with a click. He's got he's got a visual click on his screen, oh, and yeah. every single night. And then last night, his assistant came and did it, and it was just absolutely bang on. Oh no! <laughs> but wow. what I find interesting would be if you could have taken the, the, the streamers away from him on the screen and just let him do it. It would probably have been together, but yeah. it just there's there's something that kind of. I think a lot of conductors feel like they have to impose themselves on what's happening, and therefore that's yeah. Whereas if you just facilitate yeah you know yeah yeah right <laughs> wow there's like a hundred unsaid words in what you just said, i know so. like gesture. <laughs> the diplomatic thing i've ever heard oh well, there's lots of there's lots of brilliant ones out there but uh, it is interesting oh yeah, yeah. i'm a fan of conductor anagrams but not all of them are probably principal here <laughs> Oh, such a shame. Bonus material. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I can tell you, I can tell you one, my favourite one, which is nothing but complimentary, which is Bernard Heiting. Suitably elegant anagram is a drink at the bar. Oh, how uh, lovely! That's a good lovely. one. Yeah, it is. There was, a, there was a lovely, lovely story about him doing um, something where with Yanachik Sinfonietta, where they had to do patching after the concert, and yeah. and they hadn't told the offstage the, the Yanachik the Sinfonietta was first oh, on, no. and then they hadn't told them they they were so not only did only five of them or eight of them show back up again because the others had gone home. The ones who did show back up again had been in a local hostelry for a long time, so it was a total <laughs> shambles, and they had to scrap it. And when the orchestral manager apologised to him and said, I'm so sorry, you know, I'm so sorry, you know, about that, he said, oh, don't worry. What are they supposed to do? The museums are shut. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Which is yet another reason why I love that man. Yes, yeah. so good. Top of all of that stuff that you're doing so much um you're also a fantastic photographer and i've been having a look at lots of your work today it's amazing but i literally don't know how you fit that in to your life (laughs) bless you i don't i'm not that particularly great shakes um i i um it's a kind of therapy for me. I, I, I have a natural tendency to be uh, Eeyore-ish, you know. You remember Winnie the Pooh? Eeyore's always a bit kind of... Yeah. And, and I, I can be a bit glass half empty if I'm not careful. So I think having a nice camera, it forces me to be looking for... Um, looking for looking for lovely things you know it forces you yeah. to look for be- beauty even in mundane mm-hmm. so even if you're walking through an urban bit of brum on a on a crappy february night sometimes you get something really photogenic and it forces you to look for interest you know and I, that, I find yeah. that really therapeutic yeah yeah are you, are you a dslr guy yeah 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 so do you carry that around with you a lot of the time? Uh, rarely. I mean, I've taken sort of formal pictures. I've, t- I've done quite a lot of photography for the Conservatoire, actually, for press releases and oh, right. stuff and brass department pictures. But generally speaking, no, to Brum, I just, I've got a posh phone which has good camera on it, so it's quite good for street yeah. photography. But no, I, 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 I tend to sort of just... Well, I mean, the last three months has just been obviously within a, a mile radius of my house, you know, and that's been quite fun, actually. Yeah. yeah. It's been... been forces you to be a bit creative i quite like kind of multiple exposures and you know moving the camera around i can't paint or i can't draw so it's the closest i can get to expressing myself like that you know yeah well funny enough actually when i was i was googling to have a look at see if i can find some more of your photography um and uh, there is an amos miller artist in fact did you know that i did yeah. there, there's there's an amish farmer an artist and a, a d like a kind of hip-hop dj in yeah Seattle. yeah <laughs> Yeah, I, I, actually, I've been, I've been in touch with him about playing on one of his tunes because we just both thought it'd be really funny. Yeah, that's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you could get the Amish farmer involved somehow. As well. Yeah, exactly. be awesome. Oh, yeah, please. <laughs> There's a future in that. <laughs> Definitely. No, I, I wouldn't ever call myself an artist in a million years, but I, I do enjoy. It. I had my first exhibition last year, which was really good. Fun. Oh, so brilliant! Was nice. wow. Where was that? Yeah. I was down in um, Romney Marshes. It was oh, basically p- pictures of Dungeness, kind of weird, dark pictures of Dungeness yeah. and all that area. Yeah, so. I saw the the whole like a whole series of black and white photos, which were gorgeous. They re- they really yeah. are fantastic. So, oh, yeah. You're very kind. It's just good fun. Right? It's just it's it's really for my benefit. Oh. Anybody else's, but I enjoy it. Amos, we're doing a, a like a playlist, Spotify playlist to accompany our podcasts. And we're wondering if you've got anything you'd like to recommend. 
Oh, blimey. Um, <laughs> God, I'm completely obsessed with playing people things, so this is a really dangerous thing to ask me oh, because my, my, idea, my idea of happiness is to have a captive audience, a few bottles of wine, <laughs> and listen to this and listen to this and listen to this because I'm yeah. a completely obsessive listener. But, um, oh, gosh, uh, what sort of thing are you looking at? Whatever you like, really. Literally anything. <laughs> I mean, what one of your thousand jazz LPs? Or, yeah. Uh, oh, okay, right, just completely spur of the moment. How many tunes do you want? Tonight, give us give us uh, four. Okay, give me four. I'll give you. <laughs> okay, um, Mike Walker. Um, he's a guitarist in, based in Manchester. Yeah. Plays in the group The Impossible Gentleman. Um, one of the nicest people in the world, and one of the best guitarists on the planet. And his tune is called A Real Embrace, which okay. is about seven minutes long, eight minutes long. Uh, it would be one of my design and discs. I just think it's one of the most beautiful things. It's like this big sprawling samba uh, with strings, and it's just utterly the most beautiful thing you've ever heard. And it oh. starts off with it starts off with his mum in a local Manchester boozer um, singing the song on with a honky tonk piano at the beginning. It's, it's the best thing. I love that tune. So that would be oh, one. Sounds amazing. Great. Um, I would pick um, Miles Davis playing "It Never Entered My Mind," the ballad. And he splits a note. Well, there's a few versions of it. There's one where he splits a note. He's got a cut mute in, and he splits a note near the beginning. And it's the single most heartbreaking split you'll hear in your life. It's just utterly the most beautiful thing. Oh. I'll make you cry. Um, oh. Okay, uh, take six. Um, uh, take six. Oh my god, where do you start with take six? They're geniuses. Yeah. Um, how about just come on to me by take six? That's early off their first record. It's just. Hey, I don't think I know that one. Uh, it's off, there's a record called "So Much to Say" by Take Six, and it's it, it's like it's just a gospel, little gospel, unaccompanied tune, and yeah. but the harmonisation, the singing, the intonation is incredible. Um, and and then how about something really um, in your face, jazz wise, to finish with? Um, Bob Berg playing uh, "You and the Night and the Music" um, with. Um, Ed Kikoski, Dave Kikoski on piano, and um, oh, I've forgotten the name of the drummer, ridiculous drummer. Uh, if you can't find it, let me know and I'll send it to you. <laughs> but yeah, you, you and the Night in the Music, um, Bob Berg, yeah. it's off a record called Another Standard. And it's if anyone ever accuses you of jazz being cocktail music, play them the play them the sax solo on that, and it's it's the most <laughs> it's the most sort of road rage sax solo you'll ever hear in your life. It's, it's completely epic. I love it. Brilliant. There you go. Completely off the top of my head. Brilliant. Oh, that's great. This is basically like our our sort of way of just doing an unofficial desert island discs, isn't it? Yeah. Oh my god, yeah, I'd be here is. all night. You'd, you'd have to give me more. more <laughs> you have to give me more warning for that. But um, <laughs> I know, I know. yeah. I, I talk about uh, Miles Davis splitting a note, and I, I always think about that because you know we're, we're taught as classical musicians to never split notes, and yet Miles Davis splits a note, and it's it's like such an incredible expression of, of his of his mind and what he wants to play, and it never it doesn't sound wrong when he splits a note. No, I think I think and, it's about intention. I think it's, yeah, I think it's, it's about yes. the sincerity of your intention. And I, the, 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 if you're if you're I've always said this to my students and I say this to people who are auditioning as well. I, I, I couldn't give a monkey's about it. The worst kind of split is an apologetic one because you're trying not to. If, if you yeah. just absolutely go for it and take a risk and it doesn't come off, then uh, who cares? Nobody died. It, you know, but I, I want to hear about you when you play. I don't give a monkey's about anything else, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so split like that, which comes from a noble thing where he's trying to, trying to, I mean, you're, you listen to that. You, he's trying to sort of give birth to this particular note and it just sort of clips yeah. and it, it's better than it would be if you haven't you know it's just there's something yeah. about the nobleness of his kind of spirit at that moment that is amazing you know yeah it's a completely different approach to making music 
It is. I think to 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 playing, you know, say, you know, in a sort of classical way of playing, it's. Um, I mean, you're you're making music as well as playing music at the same time. So, yeah, you're, he's really saying something. There are classical musicians who harness that, though. I think that my, my my favorite ones can do both. I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, you. Could, I remember. I was just thinking of. Um, I had you know I had um, a, a academy I was taught uh, by Rod Franks and it, he would accuse me at times of of note getting don't don't just get the notes it's boring you know don't you know you've got to say something you do you know do something with it did you ever do his and, did you ever do his whisper tones with you did you ever do that thing where he, yeah yeah I, I remember seeing him do that in a Shellelo so semi final in about 1988 and I remember hearing, hearing demonstrate that in a master class and I literally couldn't believe it I couldn't believe anyone could play yeah. that quietly it was the most it's extraordinary so thing it literally that you could see the note hovering just outside the bell, clinging onto the bell like it didn't want to come out. It didn't want to come out, you know, but it was just there. It's like, don't let me out. It's like, it's absolutely amazing. Jaw dropping. Yeah, phenomenal player. Yeah, but, amazing. Um, but yeah, I think that's that's that, that's you know the, the one one thing I, I you know I try and teach uh, and and think about in my own playing all the time is is just like say something like t- tell a story. Big time. Put put something across. Yeah. And, and that's right, and and you can you can hear it if someone isn't doing it, and and it's boring to listen to as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I went to the I've, I've been to see the Kronos String Quartet play loads of times. They're so amazing, but and really often, you know, a bit imprecise. Some of the tuning might be a little bit iffy, but like the most exciting performances and they play brilliant repertoire it's so good and I within a couple of weeks of each other I went to see them play and then I went to the London String Quartet competition and uh yeah the contrast was quite huge <laughs> there was so much precision and things but it just didn't not all the groups like a couple of the groups it just didn't do anything for me at all I'd much rather hear a really committed exciting slightly scrappy around the edges performance yeah i mean i i wonder sometimes with me whether i i'm just saying that because i can't i'm not as good at that and i, and I can't play as accurately <laughs> but but, yeah. but I, I do i do feel you know with onyx for example i do feel that we communicate something uh, you know it might not always be flawless but we do communicate something there's some sense of sincerity to it and yeah if you if you can't be i mean music's the most important thing on the planet after family um and you know it's the best it's the best achievement humanity has ever managed i think personally and i'm I mean, obviously i'm wildly biased but music is just it's bottomless joy from yeah. dawn till dusk you know it's the most incredible thing it's the thing that makes me cry the most often thing that makes me happiest you know and if you can't if you can't at least take a risk to communicate some of that then what's the point in any of it you know There he goes. Thanks for coming, Amos. Yeah. It was so great to chat to him. I mean, he has so much to say and he's done so many different things. It's like, where do you start? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, He's a, yeah, nice guy. And, uh, I always say that. No, he's a nice guy. Um, I'm looking uh, forward to the episode where you say, God, he was horrible. (laughs) He was horrible. (laughs) What an awful person. Total prank. (laughs) (laughs) That was great. Um, yeah, go on. I was just going to say, I felt really bad. I set him up 
with this question that I I thought it was a really important issue to discuss the whole thing about the BAME students coming in are there any more but I I started asking the question and thought I know what I want to say I feel like it's important but when it came out it didn't feel like it was fully formed and I sort of felt like I was throwing him under a bus which was awful and then I felt really bad about it for like the next 20 minutes of the interview so oh, no. I know I just want to apologize to Amos for that because I really wasn't wasn't trying to set you up with that one. Uh I just thought no. he'd be really interesting to talk about it and to see what he was seeing at college now. Yeah. I know. I I, I listening back I think it's totally fine. Yeah. I think and, maybe uh, it was more in my head than, than out. But yeah. it was yeah, it was one of those awful moments where I just stewed on it afterwards and we were talking about other things. I kept thinking why did you say that? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I don't know. It's a, it's a very tricky topic, isn't it? And, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I guess because he, he's actually, you know, in in a conservatoire setup. So yeah. he is well placed to kind of to think about it. But I think it needs a lot of thought. And, yeah. um, and I think that was quite early, early days since the most recent kind of Black Lives Matter yeah. events that, that kind of made everyone start thinking about it again. And, and really for the first time thinking about the music industry mm-hmm. and the conservatoires, also things like ABRSM having mm. having more diversity in their composers and Absolutely. Sort of things that people are talking about now. And But yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I think um, it's obviously good to talk about these things yeah. and to try and try and make some changes and uh, yeah definitely we can all we can all we can all do something i think you know? yeah but um that's true it take time but but yeah um it was uh <laughs> it's fine don't worry oh thanks <laughs> <It's fine. laughs> yeah <laughs> i liked his anagrams i've heard i've heard he does quite a few conductor anagrams and i think he gave us a very tame one <laughs> yeah that's right <laughs> Um, we'll get some more off record hopefully. yeah we will <laughs> um, yeah so anyway thanks so much amos and um i hope you've enjoyed listening to this listener if you've enjoyed it you can uh, share it online let, yeah. let people know about it yeah and um hey seb this yeah. is going to be the last uh one that where we record these bits live for a little while isn't it because yeah well, i guess so yeah i mean you're going off to Go and introduce yeah. a new Philpot to the world. <laughs> yeah. <that's laughs> Which right. is wonderful. Um, I know. So, yeah. So, for a while, you might notice in these intros and outros that some of our references might seem, I don't know, a little bit out of date, not quite up <laughs> to speed. So, apologies. <laughs> yeah, that's right. This is the last sort of topical news week. We yeah. should get it all oh, in. Oh, God, now, we really we? should. We have to think of something immensely topical. Well, what's happened today? Uh, Russia, Russia. There's stuff Russia. to go. Russia scandal. What's happened to Russia? I well, missed that bit. No, it, it, meddling, meddling with our meddling. elections and things like that. And and there's going to be things which are released, aren't there? There's going to be documents released about um, their involvement oh, really? in various I see. political wranglings. Right. There you go. That's as well, current as I get. <laughs> face masks. That's what everyone's face talking masks, about. Face, face masks. Face masks. That's right. Yeah. There we go. I'm, I'm gonna. Yeah, I'm gonna have a baby soon. So. Um, ah, that's gonna how are you feeling? How are you feeling about time. it? I'm. Yeah, I'm starting to get um, quite excited. Are and you? Obviously, I was excited before. Yeah. But, um, uh, as soon as I've finished doing all these podcasts, get them out of the way, then yeah, that's gonna feel great. Yeah. The old. Yeah. The old weight lifted off. Can start nesting then, can't you? <laughs> <laughs> Probably nesting. Yeah. Yeah. Lovely. Yeah. 
Oh, we that's get, great. Yeah, it's, all, it's all pretty much ready, the old Good. house. You, and Charlotte and... hasn't had any kind of um, uh, twinges thinking that the baby is arriving yet. You haven't had any false alarms. No. She did just pop her arm through the door to get... It was just to get a phone charge. I thought oh, did it, was, she? it was the moment. Oh, I was like, you only interrupt a podcast if you're having actual contractions. Otherwise, I don't want to see you. <laughs> yeah. it's, in the, it's in the contract. <laughs> well, look, good luck. I, I hope it's all an absolute joy. Yeah, uh, thank yeah. you very much. I'm very much looking forward to it. Yeah, all right. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, uh, thanks, listeners. And we'll be back next week with another musical guest mm-hmm. and it is uh, a violinist it is a violinist yeah and there you go and a that's all you get jolly good one at that but that's all that right. jolly good one yeah yeah <laughs> uh, okay take care everybody and see you next week bye, bye. softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.